quantum computing fundamentally is the best way to process information based on the laws of physics as we know them. I had constructed what I thought of as the generalization of the universal Turing machine. Can an astonishingly powerful new realm of computation be found within the quantum world? Will researchers ever realize the goal of what they call quantum supremacy? And what would it mean for our society if they did? From its fundamental building blocks to the ultimate goal of a truly universal quantum computer, join me, Oxford Professor of Philosophy Peter Millikan, as I explore this and many other questions on the Future Makers podcast. Available today from wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Future Tech Health Podcast. And I have Greg Kaiser, a founder of an investment firm, uh, Supersystemic.ly. It's a New York City-based think tank and angel investment firm. He's also the author of Dear Machine, a letter to a super-aware intelligent machine. So uh, this will be super, super interesting. Greg, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Great, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on the call, on the line. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe we can start with the book first. Um, what is Dear Machine about? Uh, so Dear Machine is a letter to a future super intelligent entity. So it's an exploration of uh, not just artificial intelligence and where it's going, but where uh, kind of innovation is going in general, uh, the, the general direction is going. And so it's a thought experiment, a thought experiment about uh, what would a super intelligence do if it landed upon Earth right now and started to look at our problems and tried to help us solve those problems. Is that uh, your premise that it would be helpful to us and not wanting to uh, enslave us or yeah, that, ignore us? I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's a hypothesis I uh, I put out there. I mean, uh, I I believe that you know superintelligence will emerge through all of the systems that we're currently building, everything from our you know our uh, transportation networks to our uh, shopping. Uh, websites to Google Maps to uh, everything uh, Facebook is doing and learning about our, our wants and needs and desires. And eventually uh, those will merge together with the use of blockchains and some other things and superintelligence will emerge in that direction rather than the, the, the other way, which some people expect, uh, like in a boxed environment uh, at the hands of a corporation or government or something. And uh, since I expect it to emerge in that direction, which you know is a hypothesis, something I'm not absolutely 100% certain about. Uh, it's kind of a belief based on what I've uh, learned. Uh, but since I expect it to merge in that direction, I expect it to have our goals essentially 
you know, thousands of goals of, uh, of ours and on the whole, those would be good for humanity. How do you think our current technologies are going to, uh, you know, have this emergent property of super intelligence? Like, mechanistically, how do you think that could happen? Well, I think, uh, I think blockchains are, uh, uh, I think blockchains are going to be key. Uh, you know, you're starting to see startups in the blockchain space who are trying to, uh, connect, uh, essentially create smart contracts uh, for the use of processing power, uh, memory, drive space, et cetera, uh, because this is a very real need in, in the world. And, uh, and you know, without that, there, it's very difficult to share that those kinds of uh, resources, uh, you know, developing all the contracts with, uh, with entities or, or algorithms, et cetera, that really don't have an established relationship. So, uh, my, my expectation is that that blockchain development will continue to happen and it will outpace, uh, say, the building of, of AI in inside of a box environment. Yeah, right now it seems like uh, AI is you know, a very, very narrow, you know, like idiot savants. And I've seen maybe a few systems where they piece together, you know, multiple idiot savants to make a system that's capable of, you know, several different types of high-level interaction. But uh it still doesn't seem to be any spark there, any emergent ability to have like a generalized artificial intelligence that can handle uh, all kinds of situations. Yeah, for sure. And if you think about how intelligence evolved in humans, you know, it was complex. Uh, uh, it was a complex set of goals, hundreds, thousands of goals inside of our bodies and minds and so forth, uh, interacting with a very complex environment. And I just don't, I don't see how, uh, how, the, you know, in the box environment, they'll be able to give a complex environment uh, to these, you know, these burgeoning entities uh, uh, in a way that will allow them to develop faster than, you know, the uh, kind of the open source, open access to the internet thing, where they have access to all of this data and they're and, uh, uh, and able to learn from this uh, kind of the complex world that we live in. That's huge, I mean, makes sense. And then uh, in, in regards to your think tank, what's the premise of the company there and, and what do you guys work on? Yeah, so the thing that I the thing that I honed in on, uh, and this is kind of my background, is in uh, uh, biology, genetics, what I studied in undergrad, and then I uh, kind of worked in technology. Uh, but I got into complex systems to, uh, uh, at university, and I've continued to study those. And uh, the overarching theme uh, for what the angel investment firm or the investment thesis for the the firm is to essentially uh, invest in things that increase diversity and complexity. And the reason why uh, I have hypothesized is because over the course of history, you know, humans have done all this work to, uh, you know, building all these systems, uh, agricultural, health, educational systems. Uh, and in order for us to kind of scale things, we've always kind of simplified things. Uh, and in doing so, we've kind of uh, we've kind of pulled the life out of things. And and many of today's current uh, opportunities and also many of uh, today's problems are uh, are, are kind of uh, a reaction to this monoculturization. So uh, my idea for the investment firm is to do things that reverse that monoculturization uh, in order to, number one, uh, make uh, worthy investments, and number two, uh, to do investments that can kind of have a positive impact on things. So what are some examples of you know the current reductionist or monoculture uh, that you want to change? And you know, what's an example of a, of a system that you think would be amenable to this? Yeah. So, uh, for example, if you think about the microbiome in the human digestive system, uh, it's an extremely important, it's almost like an organ. There are more cells there than there are in the human body uh, of microbes, uh, of bacteria, viruses, fungi, et cetera. Uh, 
Um, and uh, a lot of health issues today are actually uh, currently being uh, directed back and uh, seem to be a cause of the lack of a diversity of, of organisms in our, in our digestive system because they serve very real functions in terms of generating neurochemicals and providing immune functions, et cetera. And so one of the first investments I made is in a microbiome company who was doing this treatment. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of an icky thing to talk about, but it's called fecal therapy. Uh, and uh, essentially, they take the uh, they take the biome or the poop of a healthy person and put it inside of an unhealthy person uh, that might be suffering from autoimmune disorders, uh, from skin issues, from digestive uh, issues, et cetera. Uh, and it turns out to be a very, very powerful therapy. Uh, and uh, it's already saving many lives, uh, you know, for a very specific type of infection in the United States called C. difficile. And that's the only, uh, it's the only thing it's FDA approved for currently, uh, but, uh, but it's showing promise for uh, autism, for example. Uh, Arizona State University recently re, uh, released a study uh, two years after they've done essentially a single set of uh, uh, transplants and, and uh, people with autism and found a pretty significant reversal of symptoms. Um, there's connections now being shown uh, the microbiome to bipolar, to schizophrenia, to autoimmune disorders, all these other things. So I see it as a very powerful, uh, very powerful tool. So I've invested in a company in Asia called Asian uh, Asia Microbiome, and uh, they they have a little more leeway to test things out there. Uh, the the treatment is uh, it's actually very safe if uh, if the donors are very well tested. Uh, and so uh, what they're trying to do is trying to connect. Uh, all the information about what microbes cause what diseases and what microbes might remediate certain diseases. Well, just increasing the diversity of the given microbiome for the sake of diversity. I, I don't know if that's uh, if that's really going to help the person. I mean, it's, it's I would guess it's more identifying what microbes are responsible for what conditions and what the imbalances and then uh, what the redundancies are of the microbes that do help with a given condition, and then looking for that specifically and maybe uh, getting that back into the person, but. Just diversity for diversity's sake, who knows what the, the outcome of that would be? Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, for, for C. difficile, uh, for example, it's something that 29,000 people die of every year. Uh, and we don't know how to outcompete C. difficile, this bacteria that is inside of uh, people and actually killing them. Uh, and right now, the only, the only treatment that actually works is this uh, throwing diversity at it. So throwing uh, doing a fecal transplant and uh, and reversing the uh, and outcompeting the C. difficile and it works in a very high percentage of the time, like 70 or 80 percent of the time on the first treatment, and if not on the first treatment, the second treatment works. And so this is like an overnight treatment. So uh, I do think it's the diversity versus lack of diversity that is at play there. Uh, uh, and there's still a lot we don't know about how the microbiome works. And this is what the company, you know, if we can get m more targeted about what we're doing, I think that would be great. But in, in the interim, uh, you know, we don't know how to we don't know how to put bacteria into somebody that might outcompete other like a single bacteria, multiple bacteria, in a way that stays. You know, probiotics don't stay in our body; uh, they they kind of pass through, they serve some function, and then they disappear. Uh, so the ecosystem approach seems to be uh, seems to be working so far. And and uh, you know, there's. There's a huge DIY movement as well with this. Uh, thousands of people are doing this on their own, which is uh, not advisable, but uh, you know it's something that uh, works so well, and and uh, the word is getting around that it's uh, a powerful intervention for 
for many different disorders, especially IBS and other digestive orders and autoimmune stuff. You know, people are doing it on their own. What they're asking someone they know, hey, could you help me out? And they'll do like their own fecal transplant on their own. Yep. They're literally doing it. Yep, exactly. So there, you know, there's a there's a website called Power of Poop, uh, and uh, and then also a bunch of Facebook groups where people share stories and tips, et cetera, on how to do it. Uh, but yeah, the conventional the conventional uh, method is uh, I don't know if you can call it conventional at all, but uh, they take a family member, they have them well tested. There's a series of tests for a hundred different types of microbes that might be a problem. Uh, and then if their family members test out fine, then they, they go ahead and they do it on their own, literally in a blender and, uh, you know, with at-home uh, tools and so forth. Hmm. So w- what have you found are some of the important factors, for instance, in doing a fecal transplant? Like what kind of testing needs to be done to make sure the donor is uh, you know, viable or not? And, you know, what are some of the things that make it work better than not? Uh, yeah, I mean, donor sourcing is a huge, a huge issue. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, people are looking for uh, to to remedy all sorts of uh, issues, but uh, getting a high quality donor, somebody who has never had anti- antibiotics, uh, somebody who really never gets sick, somebody who doesn't have any type of psychiatric disorders, uh, somebody who's not obese, et cetera. So there there are a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, unfortunately, the you know it's difficult for somebody who's running into problems, and if they're not approved, uh, if they're not uh, ready to be a, they're not addressing a, a symptom that is approved by the FDA. They kind of have to do it on their own. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess it's the overall quality of the, of the individual and the health of the person. Uh, ideal, I think, would be you know uh, Olympic level athletes who have never taken antibiotics and and uh, haven't had any issues, et cetera. And then the testing is you know, it's pretty standard stool testing. You send it in. There's a hundred different types of microbes and you know, uh, and uh, viruses, and et cetera, that would be tested for everything from HIV to herpes to uh, all sorts of other uh, bacteria and viruses. When you talk about the microbiome, are you just looking at the microbiome of the colon? You know, because from what I've been seeing and reading, there's microbiome of the skin and the eye, and I mean, it's microbiomes on pretty much yeah. every organ and every area of the body. So, you know, when you talk about integration, is there any consideration you see from anyone out there on the integration of various microbiomes in a person, for instance. Yeah, no, I haven't. So, uh, so uh, it's definitely just the colon right now. Uh, uh, that's the only kind of uh, treatment that's being done. There's there's a group uh, out of Australia that they're studying uh, the nasal microbiome for people who have uh, who have um, chronic sinus infection. And so, what they're doing is they're doing exact exact same thing as the fecal transplant. They're doing a transplant of uh, the sinus microbiome from one person to another. So again, kind of disgusting, but uh, literally uh, taking snot from a healthy person and putting it in an unhealthy person. Uh, and so uh, early studies show that that's a pretty powerful tool, but uh, their data is not in yet. And so another, I think it's another few months before they'll start uh, bringing their data back. Uh, but yes, I, I microbiome, uh, I know there's, I just read about this today actually, uh, some study where uh, uh, this group is hoping to reduce the number of eye infections and so forth by understanding more about the the eye microbiome, uh, which is something that uh, you know I didn't realize we actually had or was actually discussed yet. But yeah, the skin is another one. So uh, yeah, there are definitely many different microbiomes on our bodies that are actually important and serve lots of functions, et cetera. 
<laughs> Very interesting. Is it a joke that they beat the snot out of somebody and then they transfer it into someone else? It's not oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> forced, forced retrieval of uh, transplant. Like look around. Yeah. What, <clears throat> what other um, you know, companies are you looking at or areas of, uh, you know, of biotech companies? What, other what else interests you in addition to the microbiome? Yeah, so uh, I'm very interested in uh, uh, mental health. Uh, I've had family that have suffered mental health uh, and uh, depression, addiction, et cetera. And so I'm uh, looking for ways to get involved in that. And I've invested in one company in that realm. Uh, and uh, what they're doing is using psilocybin, the ingredient magic mushrooms, or the compound of magic mushroom to uh, address treatment-resistant depression. So this is depression that folks have had for uh, 20 years, uh, tried every SSRI out there, and are still having trouble. Uh, and what happens is uh, they go in for a dose of, essentially they go in for a therapy plus a dose, et cetera, uh, into a clinical environment uh, in which uh, the therapists have also been trained and have gone through uh, a, a trip as well. Uh, and they'll sit down there for six hours and uh, with their therapist and go through this uh, trip treatment. Uh, and so I invested in the company that's doing that. Uh, the data that, uh, the data about psilocybin and depression uh, still preliminary. I think uh, before this company started, uh, there were studies of about 20 or 30 people at a time, which looked very promising, a very high percentage of which uh, went into rem uh, remission, depression remission after, uh, you know, up to six months out. Uh, but this particular company is doing a clinical trial of 400 people between UK and Europe, and uh, they got uh, breakthrough status from the FDA uh, to do this work. And, uh, and so this is this stuff that's underway right now in, in hospitals and clinics throughout the uh, United States and Europe. And the reason why uh, I see depression is just uh, one of those. Uh, psychedelics in general are showing a lot of promise for addiction, believe it or not. Uh, opioid addiction, tobacco, alcohol, et cetera. Uh, so it's a really interesting uh, field to me and uh, something I hope to uh, continue to be involved in. So people uh, that have uh, chronic depression, yeah. some of them are, you know, or ingesting mushrooms, and that seems to alleviate their depression for a period of time. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so, a single treatment up to uh, up to six months, six months with a uh, pretty high percentage of the people involved. I think it was like kind of like seventy or eighty percent. Wow. And wh where do these? Is this overseas or in the U.S.? Or where can these treatments be uh, be had? Uh, so this treatment is happening through universities in uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, it's primarily in the U.K. It's, the company's out of the U.K. Uh, but they're UK, Sweden, Germany, Portugal, uh, and the United States. Hmm. Any other? Yeah, I know depression is huge. Um, any other types of interventions that you've heard about, other therapies, or is uh, this one appear to be the best so far? Uh, yeah, I know there. I know for depression, there are also there's like a ketamine-related nose spray. Uh, I know uh, MDMA is being studied for PTSD. Uh, there's a really interesting, I don't know if you've heard of MAPS. Uh, it's a nonprofit that kind of funds and promotes a lot of this research. Uh, but they have a lot of, uh, they. if you go to their website, maps.org, they have a lot of the research uh, listed there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I guess the main thing is addiction uh, and uh, depression and PTSD, uh, which psychedelics are showing a lot of promise for. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well. At what point do you think um, 
you know, going back to the fecal transplant stuff and then even to this, you know, the depression therapy, how close are these uh, to becoming more mainstream and widely available? You know, probably forget about insurance, but at least available, you know, for the, yeah. For the public. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I guess if this uh, if this trial goes well in the next year or two, I could see within a few years starting to see psilocybin uh, have uh, kind of uh, medical uses, so being approved for medical uses. I'm not really clear on uh, kind of the timeline or what happens once the study's finished and they start to, uh, you know, I guess we start to get government to consider in a similar way that we have with medical marijuana. Uh, a lot of people are drawing kind of uh, drawing, uh, you know, saying that this path for psilocybin is very similar to the one that medical marijuana went on. So, uh, so we'll see. Yeah. And then in terms of the fecal therapy, uh, it's really interesting because, you know, typically we, uh, FDA approves a single molecule for a single disorder. And so this idea that, you know, you're putting thousands of different species of bacteria into somebody is kind of doesn't even fit into the model that we use for approving therapies and drugs. Uh, so, uh, I'm not clear on how it will get past, uh, you know, it will continue to get past, uh, the FDA and, and so forth. Uh, at least we know that there, you know, there are other jurisdictions where uh, it will be happening. You know, so long as it's uh, safe, as it seems to be. Interesting. So, what, what, um, what do you have your feelers out for? What, what are some of the basic qualifications of companies that you're looking at? Yeah. You know, so should they want to apply. And... Uh, yeah. So, uh, just for example, another one I'm uh, looking at, and actually probably will invest in uh, this week or next week, is. Uh, it's called uh, Regen Network, and essentially they're using the uh, they're using the blockchain to uh, to uh, facilitate the the logistics of uh, doing regenerative agriculture, so crowdfunding regenerative agriculture and so forth, and using sensors, satellite information, and so forth to to verify that uh, you know this particular cornfield has been transformed into a uh, kind of a food forest or agroforestry where there are 20 different species and so forth. Uh, so there's there data that there's data that NASA releases that uh, can allow you to kind of just do that automatically and test. Uh, and so the, this company's uh, taking a blockchain uh, and uh, using it for that purpose. So that's an example of another one that that I'm looking at. I would say uh, you know any companies that are kind of in this realm and doing stuff, uh, you know I guess you consider it progressive. I think of you know I specifically am thinking of diversity related. Uh, for everything, you know, this idea that diversity is the missing thing and replacing it is uh, uh, is a thing that uh, kind of fixes issues and, and makes these uh, investments good and these innovations good. Uh, but I'm open to other stuff as well. Uh, and if uh, folks are interested, they can just go to my website, supersystemic.ly, and uh, get some information over to me. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, the stuff that you're looking to invest in. And it's all like super interesting. So I- Cool. Definitely appreciate you coming. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. 
you may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.